It's the most beautiful scripture reading I've ever experienced. <laughs> I even felt the persecution and insult part, didn't you, at the end? And you said, thanks be to God. So we will find out if that's really true. Thank you, Robbie and, and Jordan. Today we're going to go where Jesus almost always goes when he would speak to people about his rule and reign coming into our lives. He starts right inside of us. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, Pastor Jeff Leo sometimes says, Jesus always messes with us. He goes right into the heart. And Today we're going to be looking at Jesus going right into our motives and our heart's desires. As I thought about what I wanted to talk to you about, uh, the quote, famous quote from Dr. Bob Pierce, the founder of uh, World Vision, is the, the quote that came to my mind. I see that we have it on the front of the Lake Avenue Foundation brochure. And it's this one. I'm guessing with... Uh, World Vision, having such a presence here, most of you know this quote, uh, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Let my heart be broken by the same things that break the heart of God. Many people say, well, of course, he was a, a Christian leader. But, but did you know that uh, Dr. Bob Pierce was originally a war correspondent? And uh, he was going over to Asia after World War II, and he saw there the devastation that the war had caused, especially among children. And he encountered, particularly in China, one beautiful child who had been completely orphaned by the, uh, the war, and his heart was broken as he saw this beautiful child who had lost so much and who seemed at that point to have no place of belonging and no place of hope. And he began to think, something has to change. This is not right. And he began a small ministry at that point in Asia among orphan children. He took a step in the right direction, being led by God. And you know what has happened. Now world vision touches not just the lives of hurting children, but almost every kind of human need, and not just in parts of Asia, but all over the world. Now, now look at that quote, how it all started. It started very small. It started with a man who had the heart of God and, and longed to have his heart become more and more like God. Let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. And when you look at that quote, you see it, it starts with a, a, an inner life that Dr. Pierce must have had that was completely surrendered to God. Uh, the, the one who mourns where we've fallen short and surrenders all to the reign of God, it continued in to a longing that his heart would become more and more like the God who had reached out in mercy to him. And that longing led to a changed life. And in fact, to things that have shown Dr. Pierce being salt and light in this world. Now, I thought about that because that's exactly the way Jesus' Sermon on the Mount begins when you look at Matthew chapter 5. Uh, last week, we, we saw that it starts with an inner disposition of a heart that is humble before God and grateful for His mercy. And today, we see that that inner disposition always moves when God comes in into hearts' desires and longings being changed. The next week we're going to come back and see how our lives are supposed to change. So I'm going to start again where we were last week because I think some of you weren't here and others of you don't have great memories. <laughs> it, it starts the starting point when, when God comes in and does His work in our lives. It always starts inside of us. Our inner beings 
being surrendered to the rule of God, to the kingdom of God. And the first three Beatitudes, as Jesus opened the Sermon on the Mount that talks about God's reign, God's kingdom breaking in, are these. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom, the rule of God, of heaven. Blessed then are those who mourn, and there especially where we know God is not ruling in our own lives and in the world. They will be comforted. And then blessed are the meek. The meek will inherit the earth. So, so here I, I just want you to see something that you find throughout the entire Bible. This work of God to, to do His transformation always begins on the inside of us. And then it works to the outside. I've thought about this way. God, God's work in this is not so much one of reformation as transformation. Or, or I thought this way. God in, in the work that He does, the healing work that He does, is not so much of a cosmetic surgeon, which is an important thing whenever we have external flaws. But God is much more of a heart surgeon. <laughs> he starts deep down inside of it and us and allows it to work from the inside to the out. And last week we saw the three places, that inner disposition where it must begin. And here I'll show you again the things that I put up on the screen so that you can look at them again. This is where God will begin in you if you want to know his healing work both in and through you. It begins with us being poor in spirit. You remember I said that poor means we lack resources. And when we're poor in spirit, we just realize that all that we should be, and the, the lives that we should live, we don't have the resources to get there. We've fallen short. And we acknowledge our total dependence upon God for all things, especially for forgiveness, especially for our lives being made right. And, and when we sense that, that humility, I can't do it, God, I need you, I fall upon you, then what happens is we mourn. And the one who knows God's approval and God's joy and God's blessing mourns those things in our own lives that are wrong. We see that what we do when, when it's wrong hurts those around us. It harms our marriages and our families and our communities. And, and we mourn that. But that mourning on the inside flows also to mourning the injustices and sins that we see in the world and in the community around us. And then that, that humble spirit that leads to us mourning our role in what is there and longing to do things that are different, leads to an inner disposition that is meek. In other words, we recognize we can't do this in our own strength, and it's not us living for ourselves or just from ourselves. The, the meekness is a recognition that all we have God has given, and it's a turning from self, and it's a prayer, Father, that anything that I have, any resources that you give to me, I'll thank you for them, but I'll use them not for myself, meekness, gentle strength, controlled strength. I will use them to bring blessing to the world. See, the person who has this inner disposition always has this attitude. Who am I that God would receive and forgive me? Who am I that, that God's Holy Spirit would come inside of me? And yet, He does the person who has this inner disposition, even though we mourn the sin in the world, we almost have this giddy joy that say, I can't believe it that God loves me with an everlasting love. And, and that makes it so that we are so grateful that we want our lives to make a difference in the world God puts us in. So you see, we uh, have hearts, dispositions, that are fully surrendered to God. That's where it starts. Now, that disposition has to move into desire. 
into what I'm calling our heart's desires. And here's the way I put it. Blessed, those who know God's approval and God's joy, we have lives that long for God to be glorified. And by that, for God to be seen through us, His ways to be seen us, we long for God to be pleased with the way that we are living. And that's the next four Beatitudes. I'll let have you see them in the light of that. So blessed, Jesus says, are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. And, and blessed are those who are merciful. They are the ones who obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the children of God. Now today I want us to look at our internal, our heart's desires. I'm going to stop after each one of these to ask if this is your heart's desire and ask you to come to God and say, Father, may that desire, may your heart become more and more of mine. So first of all, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, it had to start with those first two Beatitudes, with us being poor in spirit and recognizing I've fallen short, going into mourning what is there. So if we recognize that, we begin to have a hunger and a thirst, a deep desire that things will be right. And it always has two levels. It starts with us humbly looking at our own hearts and saying, Lord, you know, there are things still not right in my own life. And we long for the... You come to church every week saying, Father, I failed yet again. And we long, we long for those parts of our lives, our, our attitudes, our thoughts, our words, to become more and more right the way God made them to be. And when that happens, we look at the world and we, we see all these things out there. I mean, Myers, he talks about what's happening in our public schools. As we see our children sometimes having a hard time because of their broken families, we look at that and we say, that's not right. That's not the way it should be. And we long for things to be different. And that motivates us to different kinds of lives. Notice, Jesus uses strong language for this longing, for things to be right. He says we hunger for it. And we thirst after it. I, I think sometimes this rolls off of our backs here in 21st century Southern California. You know why? Because we have so much food. And even though we sometimes have a drought, we can go get water whenever we want it. So this matter of hungering after something, when you don't have enough to eat, it's lost on us. And, and thirsting after something... When our, when our throats are parched, it, it, it's, it's lost on us. But it wouldn't have been to the disciples Jesus was speaking to. He was speaking to a group of people who were under the yoke of another government. And so hunger and poverty were known by them. And it was a desert community where so often the, things that they, the thing they wanted the most was water. You can read that in the Psalms again and again, like Psalm 42. As a deer pants for streams of water, Lord. That's how deeply I long for you. So, I'm looking again. Do you see what he's getting at? The deepest longing of our hearts is to be for those things that are not right in our lives and in this world. To be made right. To be made right. Now, I even think this notion of saying it's good to hunger and thirst after something is lost on us. Because we live in this sort of consumer's world where instant gratification is what we want. 
We don't want to hunger and thirst after anything for long. And I think a part of the problem we sometimes have, even in walking with God, is this hunger and thirst is after something that, that it's, it's not going to be completed until God comes again. And so we go after it and go after it and take steps in that direction, continuing to long. But our world says, no, no, no. You don't get instant gratification. Just go and try to find something else. But here, Jesus goes right into our hearts. He says, do you understand the poverty that you have in terms of your spirit needing God? Do you understand the seriousness of your own sin? If so, have a deep, deep hungering for the righteousness of God. I try to think about where I've seen that. I've seen that here among many of you. But one of the places that I'll never forget I saw it was when you gave me the privilege to go over to Asia a few years ago and I got to go to Thailand. It's a dangerous thing to send your pastor to visit the missionaries. It, they just bring me right down to what all this I'm preaching to you is all about. And I've told you about this, but it just made me, I thought about this again. I had the privilege of being with Randy and Edie Nelson. And you know that they had gone after working so many years uh, among uh, kind of nomadic people in Africa, going to work in world-class cities in, uh, in Bangkok, Thailand, and especially in Pattaya, Thailand, uh, which many say is the very center in our world of the trafficking industry. So it was an amazing thing for me to be walking around all of these bars where all of these young men and women were, were trapped in that trafficking way of life. There seemed to be no way to get out of that. You walk around with Randy and Edie and you know what they say? They look at that and they love these people. They keep saying, well, that's not right. That's not the way that these children grew up wanting to live. That's not right. They hunger and th- you see, this is what this is getting at. We see things that aren't right and we long for those wrongs to be righted. And we know that God alone is the one who can do it. And so you remember what we, we've talked about what, what they did. And it's kind of become for me a model of how we should think about this matter of living for God. They said, well, these are beautiful people that have no self-esteem at all. They're always being put down. They're trapped in this industry where, where even their families sometimes have sold them into it. He said, you know what we need to do? We need to tell them that God loves them. We need to tell them that they are beautiful. So he took out the most expensive uh, meeting place. I think it was at the Weston Hotel there in Patia. And he went to all the bars and invited the, the young men and women to come in for this special celebration. The other churches warned him, you're not supposed to do that. You know, people might think that something else is happening here. And I told Randy, I said, you didn't even tell me. I was afraid to tell you about that. We need your support. You know, anyway, uh, <laughs> but he did it. And they told him nobody would show up. And I, at 75 to 80, women showed up at the first meeting and even more at the second. They told him how valuable they are in the eyes of God. They told him of God's unrelenting, everlasting love for them. And many came to Jesus. And out of those who came to Jesus, they said, when you come to Jesus, you come into his family. And they formed a church community like ours. They're in Pattaya, Thailand, called the True Friends Community. And I'll tell you, having preached there, it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. But it all begins here. With no arrogance to think I'm better than those people. But with a gratitude, I'm poor in spirit leading into a deep, deep longing that things will be right here and that God might use me to make things right. And the kingdom of God has a seed planted that begins to grow.
And so I'm going to stop there for a moment and ask you about your heart's desire. Is your heart's desire that those things that are in your life that are wrong might be made right? And as you go through our community and look into the world and you see things that are just so obviously wrong in the eyes of God, do you have a heart's desire that they will be made right? Do you see how these (laughs) beatitudes get right to the heart of who we are and how we live? Let's move on to that second longing. Blessed are the merciful. Once again, that starts with being poor in spirit and knowing I can't do it myself. The only way I can be forgiven and come into God's family is if I have mercy from God, right? And in the Bible, the one who has acknowledged that, how much I need mercy, always, always it flows out to us being willing to show mercy. The very way he puts it, blessed are the merciful, they will obtain mercy. Jesus will put it in other ways in other times. He says, those who have been forgiven will forgive. And so in this one, it starts again with that inner disposition of that humble spirit that knows, I need mercy, which means that we never look at anybody self-righteously, right? And we long for others to find the same mercy that we have found. It's just a part of the way God has built us. That when we've experienced something absolutely marvelous, we want others to experience it, right? Have you ever just been to a great, great movie? Or, or a great concert. And, and if you went to it alone, don't you immediately think about people. You think, I want them to experience that with me. And you'll even go the very next night if they'll go with you because it's better when somebody else experiences it with you. It's what happens on YouTube. Whenever you have these YouTube uh, uh, videos that are made and someone sees it and says, that's great. I've got to make sure somebody else sees this. And they start calling, they start calling. And that's what makes them go viral. John, John, you know what YouTube is, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I just threw that out because he's on the front row. Because that's what happens. It's just a part of what we are. When we see something great, we want those that we care about to experience it as well. And when we have experienced this incredible mercy of God, we just want people to experience it. We know if there's hope for me, there's hope for them too. Amen? So this wonderful word mercy has two different components to it. It's this compassion for people trapped in what we used to be trapped in. Lives without God, lives not knowing where to find the forgiveness and hope, and a deep compassion. And it also flows into not only that, a willingness to forgive. See, the one who shows mercy just, just wants to be able to forgive. And a church where all of us are longing for the mercy of God to be shown to this world. I'll tell you, we will be the most welcoming place in all of the world. Be the most welcoming place in all the world. So I have to ask you, that inner disposition, do you feel that you are a recipient of God's mercy? Do you just thank God for the grace and mercy? He says, I know your sin, but my grace and my mercy, they are greater than your sin. If so, may your heart's desire be that others will find it as well. Here's the way I'll put it. Ask yourself, is your heart's desire to show the same kind of mercy to others that God 
has lavishly shown to you. If so, you'll be ready to plant some of the seeds of the rule of God in this world. Third longing. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Now, my basic thought is that that is the most misunderstood beatitude of all of them. And I'll I'll tell you why. Because it's just so simple. Blessed are the pure in heart. And I think mostly we don't understand what pure is. And second, we don't understand what Jesus meant by heart. Other than that, we get this one. (laughs) Just trying to see if... Are you still up there with me in the balcony? Yeah, I see that. Okay, let's think about what he's talking about. Those words have lost something over the many, many years. Um, Hearts. When when we talk about our hearts, we, we almost always talk about the center of our emotions, right? I have you in my heart. That means that we, we really have an emotional feeling for you. For the Jewish people in the first century, the seat of the emotion was the, the stomach. See, if you're, you're um, dating somebody, you might go to that person and say, I love you with my whole heart. But in the first century, they would have said, I love you with my whole belly. Try it. Try it sometime just to see what happens. So if that's true, what was the heart? For them, the heart is the part of us that integrates the whole of what we are. The, the heart is the seat of our, of our mind. Yes, our emotions. Also, our actions. It is all that we are. That's what Jesus is talking about. And he's, what he's saying is, all that we are is going to be pure. And, and by pure, what he's referring to is a singleness of focus. Uh, that which is pure has nothing diluting it. It becomes the main desire and... What he's talking about here is that our single focused desire of the whole of our beings is going to be pleasing and glorifying God. See, that, that is the longing of those who come into a relationship with God. When, when you have been using Jesus' terms, born again, this is just what eventually happens to us. Uh, I know people don't like that term. They think born again is some certain kind of a Christian But Jesus says, no, that's what all of us are when we follow him. He makes us alive. When we come alive to God, God comes into our hearts. The maker who created the universe gives us his spirit inside. And more and more as we see his beauty and his grace and his power, our focus is, Lord, I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to become like you. You can read about this in the Psalms. Psalm 27.4 is one of the great places. One thing I ask of the Lord. Do you see it? Purity, singleness. One thing I ask of the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek Him in His temple. You've got to be with me here. Because so many times people think, wait a minute. If our single focus is on pleasing God, then isn't that going to harm my marriage and my friendships and my workplace? Anybody else thinking that? No? The the reality is that when our single focus is to please God, then all of those other things will be better. We'll know that the way that we please God in the workplace is we're going to work for our employer as unto the Lord. Book of Ephesians talks about that. Marriage, they're going to be stronger because we are going to love our wives and our husbands as we love the Lord, as Christ loved the church. 
Every wedding I do, I use the same quote from George MacDonald. When first things are put first, second things are not diminished, they are enhanced. When God comes into our lives and our, our, our greatest fear is to displease God and our greatest ambition is to bring pleasure to Him, then everything else is going to find that it falls into place in the world. So the longing that Jesus is talking about here is to have the whole of our beings, our, our emotions, our minds, and our actions to be focused upon honoring, pleasing, and glorifying the Lord. So let me ask you this. Is it your heart's desire that you will be single-minded in seeking to please God rather than what? Rather than yourself. This is where Pastor Leo is talking about Jesus messing with us, you see. Because we get in the way. We get in the way. And it harms us and everything around us. Rather than pleasing anyone or anything in this world. It's a new reign. It's a new regime that's come into our lives. And our single desire is to, to please the king who is over all kings. And then life comes together. Then blessing blessing comes to us and through us. And then the fourth longing. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. What is a peacemaker? Well, it starts with that humility of spirit to say, I'd walked away from God. And I've sinned. How can I be in the presence of a God? And God says, I found a way to make peace with you. It was pretty costly what God had to do to make peace with us. Anybody know what it cost God to make peace with people like you and me? (laughs) Anybody thought about that? What did it cost for God to be a peacemaker? He had to send His one only Son who had to give His life on a cross bearing the sins of the world. That's all. Makes you see why it is, and we'll see it more next week, why making peace sometimes leads to to persecution and difficulty. Peacemaking is so incredibly, so incredibly costly. And yet God is a peacemaker. And when we have had peace made between us and God and God comes back into our lives and we say, Lord, I want to have my heart be broken with the things that break your heart. What breaks your heart? And the biggest thing that breaks the heart of God is people broken from Him. And we're going to want to be peacemakers, bringing people to God. And then also people back into a relationship with one another. So it's a beautiful thing. And anytime you talk about peacemaking, people say, yes, that's a beautiful thing. The problem is it is so hard. Peacekeeping isn't very easy. Peacemaking is, is very, very difficult. It demands sacrifice. I jotted down just a few things. Why do I, think, I want to tell you it's so hard? I think the peacemaker often feels alone. Because when you and I enter into a peacemaking enterprise, we can't take sides. Have you noticed that? We can't take sides. And so the peacemaker always takes this risk of being viewed by all the parties who are divided as being disloyal. Because people usually just want victory. They want that person put in stockades, not not peace to be made. Why is it hard? I think because a peacemaker has to be courageous and be willing to, to take action and, 
step into difficult situations. We, we can't just sit back because the old maxim of time healing things doesn't really work when it comes to broken relationships. When there's hatred and anger and bitterness in a, in a relationship, those things fester. And the, and the wound becomes great, greater and the wall becomes more enormous. The only way for us possibly is to do this is someone that has to step in and grab hold of both and say, I'm not going to let go. And that, that is so hard. That is so hard. So that a peacemaker often works at the risks of losing friendships and personal reputation. But I'm telling you, peacemaking is an act of Christ-like love it is a willingness to sacrifice in order to bring the peace, the shalom of God to others in this world. Again, the only way that we'll ever be peacemakers is to be poor in spirit and mourn, uh, knowing what it took for us to be at peace with God. The only way to be peacemakers is to be meek. That strength that says, whatever God you give me, whatever opportunity, whatever position you give me, I will step out and take that first step. Not for my own benefit, but simply because I know you want me to do this so that I might see your power. So I'll tell you, the the peacemaking work that Jesus has done, leading us to be poor in spirit, leads to a longing. And that longing is that peace may be made between people and God. And when we see breaks in relationships in our family, we're going to long for peace to be made. And brothers and sisters, if there are times when we don't have peace in our our church family where Jesus is to be the Lord of this church, right? It's His, right? That when we see things where people are broken, the longing of all of our hearts is that peace might be made. And so I want to bring this question to you. Is your heart's desire that the broken relationships you know of will be reconciled? even more that God would actually use you to do his healing work. Now, I'm going to stop there this week. I I thought I'd just stop with this examination of our heart's desires. Next week, I'm going to take a few moments to think about why it is that people who have these wonderful inner dispositions and wonderful longings are often persecuted. Jesus has something powerful to say about that. And then also I want to address one of the biggest questions that I've been asked as I've been going into this. But Pastor Greg, this thing of bringing God's righteousness and rule to this world, there's just so much wrong, it's impossible. How's that ever going to happen? The the, the broken relationships I know of, just the ones I know of, they just seem to be impossible. How's that ever going to happen? Especially how is he going to do it through me where I still have so much that's wrong in my own life? Well, Jesus has some powerful things to say about that also. But you have to come back next week to hear what he has to say. Right now, what I'm going to do, as I've been praying about this and thinking about what I pray God might do among us in this, I began thinking about a a story that I became familiar with not so long ago. So I'm going to tell you right now uh, this mostly true story. Mostly true. Can you imagine why I'm saying it's mostly true? 
it's because it's in an academic setting and, and too many of you have walked where I have walked, so you're going to try to guess who I'm talking about and you're not going to guess because it's only mostly true. But the point is very, very true. It wasn't so long ago, I was back in a, in a Christian university setting, sitting and talking uh, with some of my friends and they began talking to me about something that happens way too often, even in the academy, even in the university setting. And that is, there were three people in the same department who just could not get along. Any of you who have been involved in schools, isn't it amazing? Some people used to say that if you get enough, give people enough education, all the problems of the world will be solved. Uh, that's not the answer. I believe in education, but uh, that's not going to deal with this heart issue, right? And, and this is one of those situations mostly among these three uh, men in this one department. It was usually two against one. It was usually two of the faculty members against um, the dean. And the real reason probably was a lot of pride. They felt, and they probably are, they felt they were better scholars than the one who was their boss. They didn't feel that their dean was really qualified uh, to give leadership to them. So usually it was them tearing him down, and he knew it well. You know, he knew this was happening. Of course, when they were dealing with one another, they had their own issues too, so we had that. But these men were people who were following Jesus, and maybe they tuned in to a message at Lake Avenue Church. I don't know. We're online, so maybe that's what happened. But one of them, one of them began to have this sense of being poor in spirit. Who am I to be so proud? Who am I to just criticize? And he was given a great, great opportunity, a grant that would have brought, will bring real prestige. And um, he decided that this uh, project, this prestigious project, would be better if he had somebody to collaborate with, somebody to do it together with. And in much prayer, he decided to go and ask the dean. So he went and showed the dean the grant that was coming, and he said, um, I have this opportunity, and I feel like it can be a lot better if I have somebody to collaborate with, and I'm wondering if uh, you will do it with me. Apparently, the, the dean was almost shocked and then turned to him and said, do you really think I could do it? And he said, I wouldn't have asked you if I didn't. And then he began to weep, and he said, I just want to tell you, there is nothing in this world that I would rather do than a collaborative project with you. So he went out, the faculty member, and he went over to the other faculty member, and he sat down, and he says, you know, I've gotten this great grant that has come, and I feel like it can be a whole lot better if we collaborate in this uh, together, and, and I've come to ask you if you would join with me, but before you say anything, uh, I need you to know that I've already asked the dean to collaborate with me too, and he said yes. And the uh, other man first had a bit of an anxious look, concerned, and then he too began to weep. And he said, as hard as this is, I know that this is right. I know that this is right. So let's take steps in that direction, in the name of Christ, and see what God will do. Now, brothers and sisters, this is still a work in process. I just want you to know that for this mostly true story. But I'm telling you what I see. I see the kingdom, the, spirit, the seeds of the kingdom being planted into that situation. 
Uh, I see people who are poor in spirit and mourning and wanting to use opportunity, not just for themselves but for blessing, being operating, then hungering for what is right, making a decision that will please God more than anything else. I believe that when that happens, we see the rule of God happening. Uh, I wanted to cite that. I wanted to tell you that story. Because so many times when we think about hungering and thirsting after what is right, we only think about the wrongs that you might see in the trafficking industry in Thailand. Or it might only be the, the situations that we should be dealing with in our own community, with our, with our schools and with homelessness and immigration and so forth. I just want you to know that this way of thinking and living is something that we can apply to every area of our lives, wherever God plants us, wherever God puts us. And that when we simply are seeking to please God and allow Him to do His ruling kingdom work from the inside of us to the outside, we will see Him do things that go beyond anything we could ever imagine. It's what happened with Bob Pierce. Let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. And you see what's happened. And the same thing can happen in us and through us because it is God who is at work and with him nothing is impossible. To his glory. Amen.